Hey, Thin Line Believers again. If you hit the button, you already know who you're listening to. So uh, anyway, we got Mike and we got special guests this week, Felix Cervantes. And uh, Felix, I I just met you like two minutes ago. So I'm going to let you tell us about yourself. I know Mike knows you a lot better than I do. But uh, who who are you? All right. Yeah. So uh, my, my name is Felix. Um, I, I grew up in Los Angeles back in the 70s. It was a good time. And uh, I've been all over the world. I was in the military uh, when I was a kid and uh, lived in the, on the East Coast. I became a, I was a firefighter out there on the East Coast for about a year. I got kind of bored. It was just kind of slow, a lot of CVA. And then I was young and then uh, up and coming, man, I just wanted to be a cop. So I just uh, I became a police officer down in Maryland. Um, I was at the World Trade Center on 9-11, and I got hit by two drunk drivers in the line of duty, so I had to put in 66 and two-thirds, and this was about 16 years ago, so uh, I retired back in 2006, and then driving out to L.A., man, uh, stopped, saw Arizona, was still being built in this part of Buckeye, and I figured, you know what, on the way back, let's check it out, so this, this was home since then, so since 2006, and in that time, I've, I've done a lot of stuff here, um, I did a lot of uh, popcorn and football, uh, I, I worked it as a teacher uh, up in up in the area here in the West Valley of Phoenix. Uh, taught middle school and then at the high school. I was a dean of discipline at a high school out here, and uh, I was a youth pastor with the Calvary Chapel. And then now I'm uh, teaching over at, at Grand Canyon University, so I'm teaching Christian worldview there. And that's I'm finishing up my dissertation right now, so uh, for my doctorate, and um, just kind of moving and going with the flow, man, wherever the Lord leads. So that's that's my story. I'll stick it to it. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I got hit by a drunk driver last fall, so maybe I just need one more and I'll get smart too. But uh, oh, no doubt. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm gonna pray a sin because we've been fighting some uh, electronics here already this morning. So I'm gonna pray a sin and then we'll and then we'll get kicked off here. So, uh, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you for our guests being willing to come on and join us, Lord. We ask that you'll watch over us and that you'll you'll. Uh, make our electronics here cooperate. Uh, we know that the enemy wants to to fight us in every way that he can and, and keep your word from going out to the world. So, Father, please be with us and help the listener to be blessed and to take something away from today's conversation. And it's in, uh, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Mike, you've been trying to get Felix on here for a little while. So uh, why don't you guys just kick it off? Louder. What's going on? Is that loud for you? No, I'm fine. Okay. Mine's really loud. Okay. I can hear you loud and clear, bro. <laughs> Good. Do I need? So you want me closer, like this? Oh, oh man. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Yeah. Repeat that question again for me. I just want you to tell us about about your guys' relationship and and why uh, we've been working so hard to get Felix on here. I know he's got a a background in law enforcement. He's got a heart for the Lord, and so uh, let's talk about that. Well, from my perspective, um, when I took over the church over here at Calvary Buckeye. Um, Pastor Ed told me about this guy named Felix, who he said, he goes, I think you guys, if you guys ever connect, I think you guys will get along so well. You guys have both have backgrounds in firefighting and law enforcement, which I don't know too many that have done both. You know, um, you, it's usually, you know, Leo's running away to become firefighters and, you know, Smart ones, metropolitan, yeah. you know, um, well, you got to understand. Cops don't like, they don't like to run in burning buildings unless there's a damsel in distress. Yeah, unless, <laughs> you know? or it's a donut shop. <laughs> yeah, right? If it's worthwhile. Um, so 
and it was crazy. The day that Ed was telling me this, I, you know, was praying. I'm like, cool, love to meet this guy. I literally go to our local grocery store, right? I'm wearing shorts and sandals and a shirt. The guy is doing the same thing. And we did the total copying, like, you know, yeah. uh, totally scoped at each other. I'm just like, oh, is he packing too? You know? I'm sorry. He's up, bro. Yeah. I think like he was wearing like his thin line believer stuff. And, you know, he gives me the, you know, like in the Hawaiian, the stinker. It's like, like, you might chime? And I was like, oh, man, this is the brother. Yeah. So, you know, we hit it off, man, you know, we exchanged number uh, real quick. And then, and it just snowballed from there. Um, we got how did he recognize he, you? How, how did he know you were a John and not a John Smith? There's only one or two Asians, and I knew the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't him. Right? I'm one of the other rice. <laughs> He's beans. I'm yeah. rice, right? So we got you know connected, and then he had some connection with Calvary Buckeye before I even came. And then long story short, uh, he's been attending the church and has been very uh, helpful. and. We've, you know, had, you know, coffee and gone out to dinner with, with our uh, spouses. And he's got an amazing testimony because I don't know too many officers that have been in severe, you know, accidents where you got struck by a you know, drunk driver. Um, I know from having been in the fireside, when you roll up on an accident scene, you kind of know either they're, they, they made it or they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he shared his testimony, how he was struck by a drunk driver and, and he showed me pictures and I was just shocked, you know, and I'll let him share his story. And then that, it just snowballed into that. And then we talked about chaplaincy. Um, he has a real heart for the thin blue line. And so I think it's just kind of like our, our personalities and our heart for the Lord and our heart for the men and women behind the badge really gelled together. Um, you know, he understands the mind frame and the mindset of police officers and firefighters, you know, especially law enforcement guys and girls. And so he has a heart for that. And, you know, and then plus he's, you know, getting his, you know, doctorate at GCU, um, Grand Canyon University out here in Arizona. And so I thought with his passion for Jesus and his heart for the uniform, and most importantly, his heart and desire for the word of God. I thought it would benefit our listeners, you know, because obviously he's been through a lot in life and, you know, he's a, he's a walking testimony, you know, and how long were you out for? Well, I was in a wheelchair for about 10 months, learned how to walk again and obviously had to get, had to recertify. So they stuck me through that washer, but um, uh, about a year and a half to get back on the job full duty. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, you know, in, in the coming minutes, we'll, I'll let him just share his testimony, but that's, that's what kind of snowballed everything. You know, I'm passionate for the word of God, Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm all about, you know, being a chaplain for any department that will take me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and at the same time, he's a family man and there's just a lot that we joke. So, um, you know, Pastor Ed was right in the sense of like we definitely connected, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so and you know, we're we're about the same age and kind of grew up in a similar area, you know. Yeah, crazy. Um, you know, he was he grew up in LA, I grew up in LA, you know. 
he went to the East Coast. I was still here. Uh, he was a host dragger for a little bit. I was a host dragger for a little bit, you know. And so he's in the ministry. You know, he served as uh, different roles in pastoral ministry, and so did I. And, you know, similar circle of friends. And it's, it's amazing how when you have, when you go to church and you go to like-minded churches, like, you know, obviously for us, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the Calvary Chapel circle of churches. Um, and so it was amazing just to see like the different connections that we had. Mm-hmm. And so, but most importantly, I think, you know, for this podcast is the fact that he loves Jesus. And I think that's what sustained him, you know, um, having, you know, being a supporter of the thin line, you know, and so I'll let him share, but that's our connection. I mean, he's a, he's a lover of Jesus. He's a man to just, you know, he wants to get the word out and I'll let him share his ministry too. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this because, uh, you know, like I said, not only have I been hit by a drunk driver too, but, Mm -hmm. uh, so two days ago marks the eight year anniversary since I was first on scene to my, my FTOs crash. Uh, off duty, his son was driving him and his son was killed in the crash. And so, um, it's amazing, man. We're not immune from those friggin' nasty collisions. Right. So I'm looking forward to this Felix. What do you got brother? So it's interesting. Cause I mean, I, like I grew up in South central LA and uh, I was born in East LA. That's not, that's not a joke, <laughs> but yeah, I was born in East LA, but we grew up by, by the Coliseum in LA. And I knew that wasn't, you know, single mom. Uh, I, I didn't want to stay there. I knew I had to get out of there. So a year before graduation from high school, uh, I joined the military. I joined the Navy, and I, I had that whole year to prepare for it. And I, I went to boot camp at 17 and turned 18 in boot camp. And I was figuring out, okay, I'll go to the West Coast somewhere. They sent me to the West Coast of Italy. So as a kid, man, I, I got to be in Italy for three years. I traveled to like 20 some countries out there before I even turned 21 to come back to the States. And that really, I grew up overseas and that was really cool. You know, it was during the first Gulf war era time, got to um, experience all of that time. And, and really when it was fun to with, you get a lot of these old times from Vietnam that were still in. So you had that transition and it was, it was a fun time to be in. And then when I got out, um, you know, the, the, the fire company that I worked with um, was a volunteer. It was like a combination department. So I was still in the military. So they started training me so that, that way when I got out, I would have that smooth transition in Connecticut. And it was a sweet company, man. They, I mean, they had the Taj Mahal firehouses. They had the old school fire pole that came down. And I'm talking like, and it was legit, man. So from you get one story, you got to come down. And then the other one two stories down to the bay, man, and you fly on that thing. So it's like, and they would always brass on that thing. So you're like, whoosh, like even big boys like me, you just fall like a ton of bricks. <laughs> so bigger yeah. the faster. Oh yeah. The bigger, the faster. And so, you know, I was on a, on a truck, so it was, it was pretty cool. That's what they put all the big boys on the truck. Cause you know, we can't go into the places. So it was, it was fun. You know, I learned a lot, but it was just, it wasn't fast enough for me. I was just, I was young. And I knew that I had to get out of that mess, man. I was just like, you know what? Just a lot of old people up in that part of Connecticut. It was, you know, um, there, we did have some uh, some time after that, though. Um, my first, like, major mass casualty, if you guys remember this back in, uh, I think it was in Waverly, uh, Rhode Island. There was a nightclub there. And the pyrotechnics caught on fire in the nightclub. This was back in, like, the, the late 90s. <clears throat> and I think, like, 
30 or 40 people were killed. They were stuck in the door and it caused a lot of issues. I mean, me mega case, you know, but when I ended up going down into, uh, into Maryland, you know, I, I, I had, um, I had met a girl and I didn't know the Lord then. that's, that's a caveat. Like, I think I need to explain this. So I, I grew up in uh, to a Catholic mom who taught, you know, uh, catechism for like 40 years. She actually left that after I got saved a couple of years ago uh, and came to the Lord a couple of years ago. So it was pretty awesome. But I'll get to that in a little bit. But so we grew up as Catholics. But like I would say since like 10 years old, man, it was just Easter and Christmas, man. If I got an Easter basket, I was, I was set, you know, on candy Christmas. As long as I got presents, I was good to go. And that was the extent of what I knew about Jesus, man. So I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. But anyway, so, you know, when I became a cop, you know, I was down in, in Maryland. And I was young. I was 22 years old, you know, trying to get on SWAT, trying to do all the crazy stuff that we do. Um, and when I was at the World Trade Center on 9-11, we were actually chasing some people up there. We were, we were there for about a week before. And when I was there with the team, it's crazy because even uh, a couple of nights before, one of the guys from my barracks pulled over uh, Zahid Zarrar, the terrorist pilot of Flight 93, mm. pulled him over for speeding, man. So he, he was doing like 92 and a 65. And my buddy Joe pulls him over and knocks him off a ticket. And Zahid was actually going from D.C. to Newark. Hey, man, so it was pretty wild, you know, how that whole setup was. Uh, and here we are up in the city, you know. So as, as the first plane hit, we were told, hey, a plane had hit. We were thinking it was like the small plane like back in the day. Um, we're going up the Hudson River Park or down the Hudson River Parkway. And people were just coming up on us. And you could see the smoke plume. Um, my family lived in Jersey across the river at that time. And as we got off uh, of, the, of the van out of the bus, we started walking down. And that's when we saw the second plane coming across the Statue of Liberty. And we knew then, I mean, instant. I mean, you're in the military. You see a second plane coming, you know we're under attack. You know what I'm saying? So that's when we went into straight up like crazy mode on that. Like people were just panicking then. Um, we got so far down. We were there for about maybe 10 to 15 minutes before the first tower fell. I mean, but we saw people jumping, and that was kind of part of my PTSD afterwards, uh, not knowing the Lord, not knowing where to turn, um, you know, seeing people jumping. And, and really, even to this day, a couple of weeks ago, even, I was talking to some students about it because we were talking about suffering in the Lord and really why the Lord puts people through suffering. And there was some dark times after that for me. Um, when I first came to the Lord, I, did, I was going through a divorce and stuff, so watching these jumper videos on this website that I was watching that I had uh, access to and really just in a dark place, man. But <clears throat> I always came down to the point of what would make someone jump compared to just, you know, to living with that, that burning sensation stuff. And it, it just reminds me of like when we were in training in fire Academy, you know, they tell you, okay, we're going to take off your, take off your mask. So that way you can see, you know, you can't breathe in this kind of stuff and you can feel that heat and it puts you, uh, puts a man and a woman to a point of, you know what, I'd rather just make my own decision and, and just trust in what I'm going to do and just go, knowing you're going to die, you know. And that's really where I left that at. But long story short, man, I ended up uh, getting hit by two drunk drivers after I left there. The first one, you know, I got T-boned at like 60 miles an hour. Now, I was more upset about my brand new police car because <laughs> we, we had take-home cars, <clears throat> so you got to use them off-duty. So, I mean, you would always out there waxing it, using armor all, you know what I'm saying? Like, this was your car kind of thing with stickers on it, you know? You're like, cool, you know? <clears throat> and as a 22-year-old, yeah, you don't want anybody touching that. I mean, yeah. you know, you put cutties in the back seat kind of thing. You're like, yeah, don't even touch my car, you know? <laughs> like, you're like, oh, man. So, anyway, 
Um, that car was demolished. I ended up getting a, like an old LT1. So that was pretty sweet. But I got my new car. And, you know, a year later after 9-11, I got hit head on at 120 miles an hour. That guy had like a 3.8 BAC. It was like his fourth accident, man. I mean, he was a mess. Hmm. And it was in a Silverado pickup. And I never even saw him coming. It was raining. Um, I was going one way. He was going another. And he crossed over the center line. And he had no headlights on. And, and he nailed me pretty good. And the crazy thing is, is not knowing the Lord, I mean, I would have been wiped out, done. Yeah. I had a bulletproof vest, and I was so arrogant at the time, thinking like it was my strength, my power. My bulletproof vest, I had a Superman S, like from a T-shirt that I cut out and I sewn onto my vest. And thinking like, okay, cool, you know, this is like, if I get shot, I got my Superman vest on. And here I am, I get hit by a drunk driver, man, you know? Uh-huh. But here's the weird thing is that my trauma plate... You know, they're about this big <clears throat> and it was for it was for rifle rounds mm-hmm. so when i hit the steering wheel even my seat broke loose i hit the steering wheel and the trauma plate actually wrapped around the steering wheel and that the car collapsed on the middle so i was at the a post like literally half my body was outside the car the other half of me was under the dashboard split right down the middle man so literally i was like from my crotch all the way on the a post man so mm-hmm. they, they they got me out of there um Learned how to walk again, got back on the job, and my boss was like, hey, you're going to be a homicide detective because I can't afford to have you on the road anymore. <laughs> so I was costing the agency money and stuff. So it was cool. I learned a lot, you know, being in homicide. We had some, uh, a lot of crazy cases. It got me into domestic violence to, to understand it, um, to see that the cause and how many people were being killed by, by domestic violence. And as a, as a homicide detective, again, not knowing the Lord, I was all about handling the case, trying to find out who did it you know, looking for like the next big case, you know, like who's going to do what until who and how. And it was kind of, kind of weird, man. Like a, almost like a, like demonic kind of thing, you know, like hoping like, okay, who's going to die this weekend, you know? Um, and as I got out, you know, when I retired, I moved out here and again, I still didn't know the Lord. And now we're into like, you know, uh, 2012, I had, discovered that my now ex-wife was in an affair and uh, being a homicide detective, I mean, I pretty much handled that whole case following it all from the inside of my house, man. And I had bought a Bible. Because if you remember at that time, this was like 2012, we were going through a presidency of grandiose proportions of who was coming into office. I figured like, okay, well, the end of the world's coming. (laughs) Apocalypse. So I started stocking up on guns, knives, rocket launchers, and anthrax, all that crazy stuff that all the weirdos do. And I mean, I I was loaded down, man. That's right, man. My currency was brass, man. I was like loaded down, ready to go. Anyway, I, I, I had, I was part of Pop Warner and doing football with my kid. And he, uh, I remember, you know, my, my ex-wife was like, hey, you know, what time are you guys coming home? Because we got a girls' night out at the movies and stuff, man. I had left my buddy's house. He was a trooper. And I just left his house, man. I get there. She takes my car to go out. And she's with this guy. I found out. And I called the room and stuff like that. And um, I threatened. I, I literally wrote a suicide note out at my house. I uh, wrote a suicide note out. All the passwords to everything. Um, took my kid. Loaded up my forty-five, And I was going to take my kids. Kill them, kill her, kill her boyfriend, kill myself. All of us, man. That was in my suicide note. And uh, I remember I called the room. He answered the phone. I hung up on him. And then I called her cell phone. And I asked her, I said, hey, where you at? She's like, oh, we're at the movies. And I said, no, you're not. I said, you're at that hotel room. I said, 
I just called the room and hung up. You know, I'm outside your door and I'm here to kill you. And she hung up her phone and she got freaked out. She called me up and she's like, where are you at? And I said, I'm at home. I said, but I know, I know where you're at. And she confessed to it and just pacing back and forth, man. I didn't know what to do. Uh, this was like the moment of truth for me. And I saw these headlights come up into my driveway. And we had this mosaic window. And so when I went to open the door, man, the lights were gone. And I remember I just hit my knees and I just started crying out to God. I said, God, I have no idea who you are, but I know I need you right now. And it, it was like, I took my gun apart, man, spraying the bullets going everywhere and stuff like that outside of the back. And I, call, I mean, I was calling my buddy up that whole night, man, trying to get a hold of him. He, he didn't answer his phone. And, you know, he, the next day he, I told him what had happened and he said, Hey, I'm gonna take you to church, man. I'm gonna take you to church. This was on February 26th, February 27th. He said, I'm gonna take you to church on the 28th, man. And I accepted the Lord, bro. And, you know, he, he came into my life and just totally radically changed me. And it's been like on fire ever since I was at law school at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and really just going over like the whole thing of my life. I wanted to be a lawyer, thinking make big bucks. I was gonna be a Supreme court justice. Like that was my goal. I was 35 years old coming to the Lord. Better than Judge Brown right now. Oh, proud of it. Like Judge Judy brought it down. Do you know that that's like, what is a, what is a man? It's whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I ended up, I ended up, yes, yes, because you don't, I don't know. But anyway, you know, it, it was such a drastic change, man. I ended up going to seminary. I left two years of law school and ended up going to seminary, man, to become a pastor. I, I just had that call. The Lord was just calling me out. And the whole time, being able to talk to people, I mean, I got like a whole bunch of tattoos and going back and forth to lunch there at the, at the uh, College of Law, I would take my daughter with me. And I remember she was nine years old and we would, we would minister to people like with homeless people. And she was like, we, we ministered to a group of homeless kids. And she was like, hey, dad, that was kind of cool, man. We, we gave them the word on the street. And I was like, yeah, we did. So we're driving and I'm thinking like John 1, 1, you know, in the beginning was the word, man. And I was like, you know what, kid, I think we're going to start a ministry like that. So that really started and jump started the word on the street. And um, I, I discovered our boy, David Trujillo out in L.A. He, he actually has a, a ministry called the word on the street. Also, I got to get with him about that. But, uh, you know, I mean, I was like, you know what, this is awesome how you're able to just. The Lord's just really been blessing us with the gift of talking to people, evangelizing the street people, um, you know, the prostitutes, the pimps, the drug users, drug dealers, the least of these and coming to them with things they need, you know, food, water, Bibles. In, in that time frame, one of my accountability partners, his name is Dave Glasser, and Dave, he has a son, Dave Glasser Jr., who was killed in Phoenix PD in the line of duty on May 18th, 2016. And what had happened was um, Davey, the night that Davey was killed, Dave had contacted me. I still have the text on my phone, man, it's pretty wild. But um, Dave Sr. had a friend that, that owns Shasta Pools and he prints those little blue Bibles out, the Book of Johns. I don't know if you've seen them before. Mm -hmm. So he's the, he's the man who does that. So what happened was, is he had a warehouse. We went out, all the three of us went out to lunch one day and he's like, yeah, I heard you go out and pay for these books he goes i'm gonna hook you up i said well, what do you got he goes in my warehouse i have about half a million of these bibles you can have you can load your truck up i was like what so he hooked me up with spanish and english versions and literally man i had about thirty thousand bibles man so i carried on my truck and you know 
whenever we hit out in the streets or go out to like it's called CAS, Central Arizona Shelter, out here in Phoenix. I mean, thousands of homeless people. But that's like the that's kind of like the radical part of, of being a follower of Christ. Some people have that gifting, some people don't. I think it, I think kind of being the crazy person running into fires or going to lock up people. I mean, we're going to people's houses on their worst day as a cop to lock people up. I mean, you're going hands on with people and you really have that mentality of no fear kind of thing. And I think that Lord, the Lord really has transitioned that to me to be able to do that in the street, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I mean, yeah, you still have the awareness. I'm, I'm still, you know, my currency is still brass, but that's in the, you know, I, I trust in the Lord to, to, to handle that, but you still have that the smartness as well. When my five years, when I turned 40, my mom came to the Lord. She told me, she's like, listen, whatever Kool-Aid you're drinking, I want it. She goes, I knew that if you were to come to the Lord, um, if you can do it, that the Lord brought you to him, he, I, I was coming too. And she got baptized, man. It was awesome. So, she, you know, yeah. she she's all crazy Jesus out too. And, you know, that's my sister, Ruby. She lives in Texas. And um, she's been praying for me my whole life, man, just about coming to the Lord. <clears throat> She, um, on 9-11, she had sent me this little angel and stuff. It's crazy because when I got in my car wreck, it was on my dad, my um, visor, and they took it out of my police car, and they gave it to me with all my stuff. It's in my truck to this very day. So I've had this thing for about 20 years now with this little angel with the red, white, and blue ribbon from 9-11. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So still have it, man. And she was praying for me all that time. You know, 10 years before I came to the Lord, she was praying for me. And that just goes to the testimony of people that are praying for the lost, man always continuously pray without ceasing for that person for that lost soul because the lord's going to do that work in them whether they know the lord or not and i'm gonna tell you i didn't know the lord at all um i would i would consider myself like if you were to tell me something about the lord back in my crazy crazy days i would have laughed at you man i mean it was, it was wild i lived la vida loca back then when i was a cop and uh, i was a young detective man 25 year old gold badge shoulder holster suit wearing millionaire man um from my accident you know so yeah, it was definitely the bad days, uh, the dark, dark days, but never stop praying for somebody because the Lord is awesome. You know? Nice. You reminded That's my me nutshell, of, bro. Uh, you reminded me of Luke chapter fifteen here with your uh, word on the street. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, "What you ordered has been done, but there's still room." Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. That's something. That's awesome. So what's, what's amazing with, you know, with his testimony is the fact that I think part of being Christian sometimes I think there is a sterileness to it, so to speak. And a lot of Christians live in that sterile bubble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his testimony is very similar in some ways to Pastor Raul Reese of Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. Um, you know, he shares his testimony, you know, openly to the church and stuff like that. You know, he's done a video on it. But he too was going to, you know, take out his family, take his own life. And I think it was a Billy Graham or Chuck Smith. One of those came on TV and he broke down, you know, I think with his rifle. It, it, the, 
it's 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 just amazing to to me how God uses every situation in life, and then when He converts a soul, that soul is not afraid to go back into that neighborhood, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like, you know, like not to dwell, not to just know. to revisit about yeah. what not to do. Well, I mean, but like if you and I were to go to, you know. Anywhere in South Central. Oh, you're talking about physical today, really? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, physical and yeah, spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like you know, when I took a, my family to Southern California, went to go see, you know, a football game, mm-hmm. right? Driving around all over LA, mm-hmm. what stations I've worked at. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't scared. Yeah. But, like, my son's like, let's <laughs> lock the door, you know? Yeah. See homeless people, yeah. you know, and then when the night, comes and the lights go off it's like okay you but you don't have that fear when you've grown up in that environment you know and it's like cops you you get you you start working so much and you start seeing so much like murders rapes and homicides it just becomes natural but once god saves that soul they can go back to that don't do that but they're not afraid you know what i mean like you're not afraid to go to any homeless shelter, you know, because you've been there. You know, it's like, you know, I see homeless people, cool, not a big deal. I know, you know, but there are some people, and I think a lot of Christians experience this: is when they see homeless, it's like, <gasps> yeah, freak out. You know, they're gonna rob me. They're gonna rob me, and it's like uh, nine out of ten times they're not gonna rob. Me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's a it's. I, you know, it all glory to God because, you know, it's not like you're out there gangbanging like David Trujillo, you know, mm-hmm. his word on the streets from literally being yeah, a gangbanger. You, on the other hand, grew up in LA, but you, God took you on a different path to military, to fire, to law enforcement, you know, to law and, you know, to now being, you know, do, do you have your doctorate now? No, I'm finishing with this. Yeah. The next year. Dr. Cervantes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, no, my seminary, though, is pastoral ministry. Yeah. So it's just amazing to me how God would take a, you know, in a sense, a hardened soul, hardened heart, soften it through life, you know. And it's like that old, you know, uh, worship song, you know, take me and mold me, mm-hmm. shame me, you know. And that's what God does. And it's an amazing testimony to hear because i mean i know one thing that you didn't mention how long were you out in the hospital so i was i was like sleeping like when i first got delivered there about four or five days and then i had i hadn't seen my dad in years when after you left my my mom and my family and i heard his his voice laughing like his his deep laugh it's like mine and i was like And I was, you know, I said a, a curse word at the time, but I was like, oh, man, I'm dead, you know? <laughs> and everybody started laughing. And I, I opened up my eyes, man, and I saw him there. I saw my mom there. They live in L.A., and here they are in Baltimore. And then I looked down at me, and I'm, like, literally covered up, man, like bandaged up, wrapped up, hung up. Like, it was crazy. Hmm. What had happened was is L.A. County went to pick up my mom. LAPD went to pick up my dad the night of my wreck. And they told him, hey, you have an hour to pack a bag. We're going to come back for you. Your son's been involved in a major wreck on the job. We don't know his status, but we're flying you guys out there. And they picked them up, man, and put them on a plane. U.S. Marshals, man, flew them out there to Baltimore. 
they got to, to Baltimore and the superintendent there, the state police hooked them up, man. Gift cards from the FOP. He's like, here you go. Hotels paid for. We're going to get you over to the trauma center now. And um, we'll use these gift cards, get clothes, whatever you guys need. And we'll, we'll square away your hotel and food. And two days later, my sister and my brother flew out. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy, man. They, they take care of us out there for sure. Nice. So in some ways, like when I hear his testimony, it's amazing because, you know, having, you know, when you're on the fire side and you're in the hospital, you're practically dead in that kind of situation. You're, you're pretty much put on life support in that sense of, you know, they're beating your heart for you. They're breathing machines, breathing for you, you know, while the doctors are working on the whole, you know, like assessing his physical body. Is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? And how God still works in it. Because, you know, we have another friend at church that also got hit by a drunk driver. These two were exchanging, like, how much was your bill? This was my bill. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> you know? And I was like, he's like, oh, I'm in a couple millions. And the other guy's like, oh, mine's like, what, four million? Oh, yeah, he, he smoked mine. He's like, I was like, and then they're talking about how fast they got hit. I'm just like, I mean, to, to be able to laugh and to talk about it and be jovial, you know, that's the power of God and the grace of God to yeah. do that. And be- yeah. Hey, if yeah. I'm curious, I got to ask before I forget this question, question yeah. because uh, if I'm curious, somebody else is curious too. Was the drunk, did he walk away from this? Broken leg, no seatbelt, man. Right? Yeah. Ah. So here's one thing I do remember. So back in the day, man, so I don't have any hair now, okay? I'm going to put my hat back because I'm looking at how shiny it is. But that's nice. Back in the day, man, I had some sweet hair. And that's something I covet now to this day. I know the Lord's going to make me perfect one of these days. And he's <laughs> going to put that hair back on. But hey, man. So back in the day, man, I remember two things. One, I remember at the, my, my, my partner showed up. He was crying, man. And it was raining. I could taste blood from like my hands and stuff like that were all busted up. So blood was dripping in my face. And he goes, man, he's like crying. I said, what happened? He goes, you're in a wreck. And I said, what? I said, is my hair okay? I always figured if I was going to die, like my mom would get really mad at me. She always told me, you know, the, the old adage, right? Yeah. Change your clean underwear kind of thing. So I was just worried about my hair. And I had a lot of product in my hair, man. So I was like, you know, just kind of like, you know, doing this thing with my eyebrows and stuff. Anyway, <laughs> I get on the plane, on the helicopter. They, they even flew out for me, man. It was, it, the guy became, a, my, the flight medic became a really good friend of mine. But he was like, hey, when, when the officers involved were coming out, rain or shine at the Coast Guard, man. So they showed up. And, of course, they had to take Cuddy with them, you know. So I'm on the I'm on the helicopter, and I could feel like they cut all my clothes off. I could feel, like, the coldness. And I remember this. One of my brothers was on there. He was a volunteer. He was a cop, but he was a volunteer firefighter. And he was standing over me, on, getting on the helicopter. And I asked him, I said, what's going on? And he was reclining down to the medical center. I said, what happened? He goes, you got hit by a drunk driver. And I said, is, is he alive? He goes, yeah. And I could I said, is he on the helicopter? I could smell him, man. I mean, yeah, he was tanked, bro. He goes, yeah. I said, where's my gun? And I remember saying that, like, yeah. where's my gun? And that was it. <laughs> the next thing I heard was my dad laughing. So I was like, what? But he, I found out he had a broken leg. It was messed up pretty bad. And the crazy thing was this, man. He was, after he got out, he, he, there was a lot of political stuff going on because we had locked up the judge's son for DUI on my crew about a month before my wreck. So the judge that handled the case, he was like, you know, cops are always investigating other cops and they always favor cops. And I'm like, from the bench, man. So he ended up 
retiring after that comment, but the guy got eight months of living workout for hitting a cop, man. Third offense, third accident, right? So he gets out and he goes home. He owned his own business, which is why the like even to this very day, I still get the the payments for the, that wreck, you know. But at that time, he got out and he got drunk the night he got out and uh, tried to kill his wife. He got hammered drunk, stabbed her with a knife, stabbed her 10 times in the head, actually. She lived. And my crew had the blessings of capturing him. He took off that night and they caught, they caught him. So, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty wild, man. My, 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 my crew members caught him and hooked him up, man. So he ended up getting 10 years for that. So... Yeah, man, it's pretty wild. Broken Holy leg. Smokes. Jeez. Okay. Um, switching gears here just a little bit because <laughs> uh, I'm really curious to know about this. How did how did you deal with the PTSD prior to, and how do you deal with it after coming to faith? So, so I've been really fortunate with on the PTSD side from the accident because it happened so fast. I never saw it happen. I heard it though. And one time I was going to therapy in Delaware. I lived right on the state line. So my backyard was in Delaware. But I remember I was going to physical therapy one day, coming home. I was at a red light. And all of a sudden I heard the crash. One time. One and done, man. I pulled, I, I could I could barely drive. I was like, I grabbed that steering wheel, man, so, so tight. I pulled over to the side of the road. And I, I mean, I could hear it right now as I say it. But that, I, it's very vague to me. And I never had any of that that stuff. Now the physical pain from it, I deal with the physical pain every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's times where I, you know, if I if I do a lot like setting up the chairs for church, later on that day I'm I'm like limping, you know. Any kind of physical activity, and it's crazy because I play baseball or softball. I like to do that kind of stuff, or you know, we go out to like parks or whatever. I know the next day I won't be able to walk. So my wife is a nurse. She's always telling me like take this medicine, take that medicine, and stuff like that. But the, the, the actual the post-traumatic part of that really has never kicked in or affected me. And the 9-11 stuff was the most memorable of any PTSD that I've had. And not in the sense of because of what I was talking about. It was more of um, just a time in my life, you know, going through a divorce, um, trying to find a, a, an escape. And I, and I really didn't know the word then. I had an NIV Bible, which is what I had the transliteration (laughs) so i had that and so i was thinking like and like he was talking about new believers man i thought i was on fire you know like here i was a brand new believer i was going to barnes and noble to like the 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 bible section i could hear people talking about trying to explain jesus to people i'm like watch this man i got this i got my jesus jersey on i'm gonna do this man and i walk over and say let me talk to you guys about jesus and they're like looking at me like what like get back, you know, like, <laughs> this is pre-COVID, by the way, uh-huh. like, get back, you're too close, but I thought I was trying to save the world, and that's kind of where I kind of figured, like, okay, I think the Lord's got me doing evangelism, right, like, he just has me going up to anywhere, so I always tell people, within 10 seconds, you should be able to, to know if somebody's a believer or not, and it's, it's very fast, like, we could do a scenario right now, but like you work at Circle K, man, all right, your, your mic, you work at Circle K, okay? Oh, okay. So here's my coffee. I'm going to come up, all right? Do your thing. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Good. How are you? Doing, whoa. Doing well. Doing well, man. How much time you got left? What time you get out of here? I got three more hours. Three more hours? Oh, bro. I'll be praying for you for that time to go by fast. Oh, thank you. I need it. For real? Anything else I can pray for you about? My mom. She's got cancer. 
What's your name? Joyce. Joyce, man, I'll be praying for Joyce, man. Is that okay with you? Yes. Come on, man, for sure. That fast, bro. Everywhere. That's how fast it happens. I tell people, you got to be bold and just do it, man. Mm-hmm. So the name tags are there for a reason. And I always open up with how much time you got left. And people joke, like, I make it look like a prison sentence kind of thing. So they laugh at that. So <laughs> it opens up that door. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, man, once you got them hooked like that, and if they say, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't need prayer. I'm like, hmm. As soon as I walk out the door, I'm praying for their salvation, bro. Because we know as believers, we need prayer. We need Jesus every time, all day. And so what I'll do is I'll write it down in my, my notebook. I, I still got the cotton notebook in the back pocket, you know, busting out the two pins. But, you know, <laughs> banging out their name, where they're at, and I pray for them. There's been times where people have actually stepped aside and prayed right there in the, in the circle pit mm-hmm. or at a restaurant. My wife and I used to do devotions at Denny's at night, and that's what we used to do. It was funny because when we got married, we actually ran out of food, and we went to Denny's that night for our, our wedding to go eat dinner. And we did our Bible study inside of Denny's. Man. So all the kids that we were used to, like that were in there working, they all sat around and we 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 pray with them. But there's kids, man. Their parents die. They just broke up with somebody. They're losing their job. They'll come up next to you, servers, especially at restaurants. We always pray for our servers because mm-hmm. um, you don't know what the stuff they're going through. They're going through the same stuff everyone's going through. So being able to come alongside with them and either pray for them for something that they they truly know the Lord, or for a non-believer who doesn't know the Lord, I'm gonna pray for your salvation. So. You're going to get prayed for either way. Just depends on what side of the spectrum you're at, you know? Nice. So what I like is, is, you know, you talked about being in a, in a super dark place, right? And, and coming to faith in that, in that place. It reminds me of the church of Laodicea. I, you know, you can be, you can be lukewarm and it doesn't do anybody any good. You can be on fire for, for the Lord. And it does people a lot of good, does you a lot of good, but it also, you know, kind of like Paul, when he was at his lowest, going to look for Christians, hunting them down, man, that's when he was encountered by Jesus, right? And so I think the same is for you. And, and you know, I do have a lot of friends right now that are in a really dark place. You know, uh, Mike and I talked last week, we had uh, a suicide. Um, and then another buddy of mine, he was in a shooting last week. And so this is a crazy time. And I think that, uh, I think that the Lord's allowing this so that people do get to that place where they're ready. And it just takes one of us, man, to, to step in and say, Hey, let me, let me pray for you. And I don't even ask anymore with most people. I'm like, Hey, uh, okay, I'm going to pray for you like it or not. I'm going to let's pray right now. So, you know, I kind of like right. that, but, uh, so <clears throat> how, and how have you and, and Mike ended up working together in, in your faith? So when I when I saw him at the restaurant or at the the, the, the local grocery store right there, I was I was buying sushi. That was kind of our, our way in. And I had this shirt that said uh, Jesus. Um, what, what did it say, man? I mean, I got so many. This one of your Jesus shirts. Yeah, it was one of my Jesus shirts, man. And um, so I'm, I'm literally I'm like looking at this dude walking in. I knew, man. I said there was only I knew the other Korean guy. I heard he was Korean, and I just and, and I'm always joking around. I say, is your name Mike? And he was just like, yeah. I said. The pastor of Buckeye, he's like, yeah. So, dude, I, I talked to you, man. I've been looking for you, and yeah. he was just like, okay. So, I mean, but yeah, sushi like brought us, sushi dog brought us the, together. The dog, the bounty hunter, yeah. like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say sushi brought us together. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit brought us there at the same time because it's crazy. I had just got done on the phone with Pastor Ed an hour before, bro. The way that I met this guy, this is this is how I knew it was divine interruption here. Okay, 
my kid was trying to go to a certain school for high school and I had to take her paperwork to this high school. And so I went to the wrong place. So when I got to the place, the lady was like, oh no, you're in the wrong building. You need to go to the actual school. I'm all the way like 30 minutes away in the district office. I need to go to the high school specifically, which is right down the street in our house. So she was just like, Jesus is better is what the shirt said. And the reason why I remember that, because she had told me, she goes, yeah, he is better. I said, you know what, let's talk. We, I started talking with the front lady counter at this district office, man. We're at the district office talking about Jesus at this place. So for 30 minutes, man, we're busting out Jesus back and forth, man. And this is like, this, that's an interruption in somebody's time frame. You know what I'm saying? 30 minutes, man. I don't mess you up, right? We're talking Jesus, man. And then I'm like, okay, I heard this new salad to go place was opened up. I go driving over to it. It's still closed. This one over by our house, still closed. So then I, 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 I drink the Kool-Aid and I say, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. Well, you don't necessarily go to Chick-fil-A and think it's going to be a quick in and out of the <laughs> drive-thru. I go to Chick-fil-A, I'm in another 30 minutes in the drive-thru. And I'm just like, okay, this is now I'm like two hours behind schedule, man. I end up going to the, to the school. I'm talking to Pastor Ed. I'm trying to get a hold of him. And we're chit-chatting it up. I end up talking to another friend instead. Ed tells me about Mike, and I'm just like, man, I said, you know what? I said, whatever, man. This is going to take forever. I get to the school. I end up seeing another person from church there, a church I used to go to. She's working at the school. So we're talking real quick, you know, because now there's like a lot of kids around. I end up leaving there, going to Bash's, and then I run into him, man. Perfect timing. As I'm walking out, he's walking in, you know? So that was like divine interruption there. And it's crazy because, I mean, to, 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 to work with him. I heard he was a cop. I heard he was, you know, so whenever I like hug him, I'm always patting him down and stuff like that at the same time, you know, but something we don't ever stop doing. But then I heard he was a firefighter. And then I was just like, well, he didn't take an ST plunge and join the military. So he's all right. He's like <laughs> two thirds. Okay. You know, but you know, you, you get that rapport. Rapport building is number one. We know on the job rapport building is important. We know in church rapport building with brothers is important and sisters. And you have that commonality, Jesus at the, at the core, but you also have those offshoots of stuff. And I think when you're like-minded, you understand everyone has gifts to come in and pour into stuff. I know where I was at before, um, you know, that the senior pastor there at the time was really coming alongside with me for like a year to be his executive pastor. I love, you know, administrative things. And I think that was kind of like a, a need that I think where Mike was, I could see there's when things have to be done, ask, hey, is there anything that needs to be done? What can I do to help you out? And once they start understanding your gifts and they see that you're doing things, you know, they'll start putting more trust into you and more, more things to do. Saying, hey, okay, hey, can you do this? Because, and I, and I told them before, you know, like when Jethro was talking to Moses, bro, you can't do all this stuff. Like, you got to start finding able men to start doing things with, you know, like holding his arms up. Like, hey, man, here, I got your arm, bro. Like, you're working out, man. I see, I feel the workout, bro. Like, you know, trying to lift up my <laughs> arms. Like, man, it's like a workout, you know? And, um, but you got to have people around you to do that. And I also use the analogy of the senior pastor, like in the Navy, who's like the aircraft carrier in the middle, Jesus is in the middle, but you have all of these other ships around there to take those hits to save that carrier. You know what I'm saying? That, that senior pastor should never have to deal with silly stuff from, you know, like, Hey, where's, where's the water at? Like, that should have been done like five people ago. You know what I'm saying? On a Sunday morning when the pastor is getting prepared to, to teach, the water situation should be to have been done yesterday by five other people. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So things like that. Know what to expect. Um, do the things like if you were in that position, that leadership thing, you would want done. And 
just take care of it. You don't have to make a big scene about it. And be like, hey, I'm gonna go do this. Just go do it, man. You know, you don't have to tell people, hey, I did it. Here's my receipt. You know what I'm saying? Hey, just go do it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And what's so, been a blessing for me, you know, having been on staff at several, you know, churches, some of them being big, you, you just learn stuff. Yeah. You know, and you'll see pastors that are like, yeah, I did this. You know, Felix is not that kind of guy. You know, and, you know, still being new to the church, I've, you know, I've told the Lord, I'm going to give it a year and just pray and see who comes along my side, you know, and you know, he talked about rapport. I know that I'm building relationship with, you know, a church that another man has established. And so I know there's going to be some work there, but I also know that God uses who we are in our personalities to bring along to us. You know, it's like John Maxwell talks about the law of attraction. You know, we're going to attract those that are kind of like like minded. And so because of the different type of careers that both of us have been through, um, and I think having you know, him experience life, he, he's just he's always reminded me, what can I do for you? You know, and then that's been a huge blessing because. You know, when you take over another man's church, it's like a football coach. Do you go in and fire the whole staff or do you go in and just kind of do a dance and see where everybody's strengths and weaknesses are and just kind of go from there? And that's been a huge blessing. And I know he's not wanting to do anything to, so that he can get a, a pat on the back with the glory. You know, the guy is he's busy as it is. He's teaching at GCU. He's got kids. You know, he's got his own ministry, Board on the Street. Is it the Word on the Street dot com? Org. Dot org, dot org, dot org, you know, so um, he's got a lot of passions, but he's always setting aside time for the church, you know, and, and which I appreciate because I know having been in fire and police, you just kind of see the need and you just take care of, it, you know, um, and my, you know, having been a senior pastor back in Hawaii, I, you know, I've dropped, I, I was young, I dropped the ball. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff by myself and, you know, hoping in doing that are some of the guys and girls are going to catch that, you know, the, you know, like the saying, you know, kids watch you versus listen to you. And so it's the same thing in ministry. And, you know, like we've, we either had great FTOs or we've had horrible FTOs, right? how to be a good cop, how to be a bad cop. Same thing in ministry. And so um, I'm nowhere near perfect, but I know my job and my goal is to get the word of God out. You know, at our church, in the, the vision mission is Jesus, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And yeah. to get that is, you know, through the whole Bible, verse by verse. And, and in that, that's where the, you know, the, the ministry takes place. You know, he's always willing to step up and take care of anything, you know, and um, and that I think that falls back on, you know, at least kind of tight end. I think cops and firefighters and soldiers make great leaders and great servants. And John Maxwell, I think he's the one that coined it servant leaders. Right. There is not enough of that in church today, especially in today's cancel culture, you know, there's not enough servant leaders, you know, people want title, people want to be leaders, 
you know, but there's not that servant leader like that kind of like doing things behind the scene, you know? And so, and that's where I think all the years that he's experienced in military fire and police, you know, has aided him to be such a great, you know, servant of the Lord. And, you know, those that are listening or watching this and you're, you are a believer, go serve in your local church. I guarantee you the, the pastor or the executive pastor or whoever will use you because you have a set of skills. I sound like that Liam you Neeson. over a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like Liam Neeson from uh, Taken. Yeah. I have a set of skills, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's just the truth. Military, fire police, girls and gals that come from that have developed a set of skills that's it's almost, you know, it's like tattooed on us that you just kind of see. You kind of see trouble if they walk in. You know, you mm -hmm. kind of see the need. And, and if you could kind of bring the set of skills and the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit together, man, that's empowerment right there. You know, like he was sharing about how you have 10 seconds to share, right? Like, and you were sharing, Adam, you just pray for them. My thinking is why you guys are talking about that. I'm like, you know, when, uh, when they're, when they put out a bolo, stolen vehicle or whatever, or like FBI is most wanted. And I was like thinking, what if God wants to use one of us to bring that one soul to Christ, you know, before we're taken, you know, and, and you think about this, just like, hmm. I wonder if this is the person. Yeah, it's the last, <laughs> the last take, one. Take out your gun. Except Jesus, not like that. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's like, hey, that could, you know, could this be the person that, you know, that comes to the Lord? And they're like. And I think the discipline, though, of, of following a rank and structure, you know, that, that really has assisted in, in being that servant leader like he was talking about. And you really don't know what it's like. You can't lead if you can't serve. That's number one. I mean, there is no way Amen. that you are in the church. You're going to be able to lead if you don't know how to how to be a servant. Um, and you don't know what it's like to be a servant until you're treated like one. Um, that's something that just, you know, uh, Pastor Ed Taylor out of Aurora has said a lot. He, he hosts a, a, not a competitive podcast, but something similar on leadership with pastoral ministry. Um about that you you really don't know what it's like to be a servant to your you're treated like one to your like called one you know uh, pastor chuck would always talk they would always talk about him going to the bathroom in his three-piece suit mm -hmm. to clean the bathrooms man in a three-piece suit you know yeah he'd take off the jacket but he'd still have his his turtleneck on you know and still doing it right? <laughs> but you know I, I and really just there's always a need i mean you you probably especially when you're when you're going to the same place consistently you're going to start looking around and saying okay Nobody has to tell me to go set up the chairs. Nobody has to tell me to go and set this up. Go put the sign up there. If you don't know how to do it, call somebody to help you do it one time and learn and go. But <clears throat> there shouldn't be a, a checklist that you have to keep asking somebody, hey, look at me. I'm going to go do that real quick. Just go do it. It has to be done. <clears throat> Take out the trash, man. Go do it. You know, um, children's ministry. If that's not your ministry, there's a need for it. I, you, that's the that's the craziest question to ask. Hey, you know, um, what what needs to be done? Because there's a list of like the scrolls long. It's like the you know the book of Isaiah, like you know. But a lot of stuff needs to be done, and really just pray where where the Lord's going to put you at and, and need and, and that purpose. And 
you know, if, if the Lord is going to, to move people around, he'll, he'll do it and he'll direct that pastor, you know, and he'll open up doors that no man can close and close doors that no man can open. I mean, I've seen a church split. I've been part of a church split twice at the same church in five years. So I've seen leadership up and down. Uh, I've been behind the scenes for one of those. I, I, everyone likes sausage, man, but they don't know how it's made. There is an administration <laughs> portion to church, you know, um, there is, there is, uh, the, the world part of church, like the admin part of it, um, that has to be done legally to protect us. But there's the, the Holy Spirit is going to guide all of those things. And he, he should be guiding those men as well. Um, and, and they should be sensitive to, to the calling and the hearing of the Holy Spirit because nothing's going to get done without them. And you're going to find that out. You'll see literally just the Holy Spirit will come in. And if it's not of the Lord, God's will, God's will is going to be done ultimately. So you can fight all you want, kicking and screaming, man. It's, it's going to be done. Yeah. I heard a gal on the radio actually not too long ago that said basically, and I'm going to not even try to quote her, but basically was saying that there are way too many Christians who don't know the difference between being a volunteer and being a servant. And I think that's pretty crystal clear. And what you're saying here is, you know, we, we have way too many people who want to, they want the benefits of being a Christian, but they don't want to be a servant, right? They just want to volunteer where it, where it looks good. Right. Uh, but they don't want to do the behind the scenes. Nobody sees it type of actual stuff that a servant does and going out on the street, sharing with a homeless person. I talk, I have talked to plenty of homeless people. I mean, where I'm at right now, there's not very many here, but you know, before I moved over here, that was part of my, my daily thing. I would, you know, I kept Bibles with me. I, I would keep hand warmers with me because that's awesome, dude. Uh, maybe not so much in Arizona, but you know, over here, keep a hand warmer because it gets cold tonight. And so, um, you know, stuff like that where you're not going to get all a whole bunch of kudos because Lord knows that, you know, a homeless guy doesn't have a, a huge following on social media. Right. So what you're doing is strictly for the Lord and that's part of being a servant. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, in the church building. That's a great place to do it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be there. Right. It's, it's in your day to day. It's in, it's in, it's in your walk. That's just part of being a servant. And, and you know what? I, I always look at it like this. The word volunteer, man. What does that say? What does that mean to you? It means it means yeah, hours on a resume, man. I don't I don't like that word volunteer. I, I yeah. remembered I remembered once when we had our our greeting ministry at, our, at another church. We had about fifteen hundred people, and the, the the ministry lead for that he was leaving, and he he had put my name in to do it, right? And I'm like, he's like, yeah, you got good personality, man. You, you're able to. I was like, okay, so I did it. And when they started talking about volunteering, I was like, hey, stop right there. I said, that word right there tells me you're giving God your extra time. Because that's what volunteers do. They're giving God what's left over. Man, don't you call yourself a volunteer. I said, you're a servant. I said, get that word out of your mouth, man. Just go wash your mouth out right now. Yeah. And that's, I think when you change that culture of being called a volunteer to a servant, now we're, we're, we can make some change on foundational levels. Because like I said, I'm not giving God my leftover time. I'm giving him my first time. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting when you do that and it changes your perspective as well. I think, you know, volunteer, I, I rarely hear it used even now. I really don't hear that so much, but yeah, you know, I think in churches, 
I, I think what's a great testimony is when you go to, you know, a healthy church are the servants. Because when visitors come and, you know, they see all these people, you know, joyfully serving, mm -hmm. setting up chairs, you know, making coffee, cleaning the bathroom. And, you know, we're still running a school, mm -hmm. but it, even the janitor, I remember when I met him, he's like, he goes, this is one of the, because, you know, they, they, they ran out a lot of schools to different churches. And I remember him telling me, he's like, your fellowship here, we do the minimal amount of cleaning because you guys leave it clean for us. Yeah. You know, you guys set the chairs back up, close everything back up, which is a testimony to the church. And like, you know, you were saying, you know, the, the Greek word for servant is doulos. And Pastor Chuck set a great example of what it is to be a servant leader. And I mean, growing up at Costa Mesa, I would see him all the time in a suit. And all of a sudden, he'll take his jacket off, put his Bible down, cl clear out the ditch that's clog clogging up the mm -hmm. street. And it's not technically on the church property, but it's on Bristol, you know, or, and he would just take out, you know, the, the, the leaves, the, the leaves like that, yeah. you know, we always sleep back then and go back and officiate, you know, officiate a wedding. But as a kid, you know, that vision's caught, you know, and it's the little things. Remember we're told in scripture, you know, Jesus says, when you give water, bread, you do it to the least that is you've done it unto me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think the world says, I'll volunteer for, you know, Habitat for Humanity, volunteer for this. And you could write that on your resume or whatever. And it's for, you know, our end, end goal, right? Just do a selfie building. Right? <laughs> I, I just helped build this house, yeah. you know? I mean, social media has really exposed that. Whereas, you know, when there, whenever there's a disaster, I realized, like flooding, earthquake, major incidences, the Christians are rolling out, mm -hmm. right? Samaritan's Purse, that's the biggest, right? But then you got Anchor Relief with Gary, Pastor Gary Kusinoki, mm -hmm. Safe Harbor in the previous and other organizations. Like I know a ton of Calvaries that mobilizes special teams, you know, to go out. That's serving. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not doing that to be, you know, have accolades. Yeah. Facebook posts, social media posts, none of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's really serving onto the Lord because, I mean, if there was something that happened for us, we know we'd have a team here to help us, you yeah. know? And I think that's where a lot of people tend to, what's in it for me? And that's that's kind of like the way the world is, the culture of the world is, what's in it for me? You know, what can I get from, from doing this or from doing that? And unfortunately, if you think about it, from the time a person comes into a church, let's just say the church is established, has a building, um, you're, you're going through maybe 10 to 20 different ministries that every that 10 to 20 different people will impact that one person coming in from the first time from the parking lot ministry, from the door greeters, to hearing the worship team, seeing the pastor, um, people that are sit, sitting the person down in their chair, walking back out, you have like, you know, uh, hospitality, you have all these different, just different ministries that are involved with that one person that has the ability to impact them. And I think I counted them at where I was at before, 16 ministries from the parking lot in to the timeout. That's 16 people that should be given the word 
the good news to that one person, that new believer or that new person coming for the very first time, 16 different people. And if that person comes and goes and says, not one person talked to me other than the door person and the pastor talking to me, man, we're dropping the ball. You know, we're, we're more focused on programs and, you know, we've got 30 seconds to finish this, you know, and looking at big timers and stuff like that, man. Don't don't put the, the Lord in the box, you know. I think man-made religion is really that's the classifiable trying to classify an unclassifiable God and put them in a box. Oftentimes man-made religion does that. Whereas if you just come alongside the Holy Spirit, man, just with the Holy Spirit leading guide, you know. I think yeah, I'm sure you and I have been there and Adam too. You know I, I I've been to churches and visited, you know, in between churches at times where like, oh, this is what it feels like to be a, a new visitor, mm. you know? Yeah. You know, when you go from serving constantly, right, leading worship, teaching, or whatever, and then... Just take a back seat. Yeah, <laughs> and then, you know, you, you join a... You're on staff at a toxic church. You're just like, oh, I got to get out of this hellhole. And then they're like, I need to leave the Calvary Chapel fold a little bit and go to a non-denominational church. I remember visiting some churches, and it was just like, I get that. Uh, who's this Asian guy here? Or, you know, you just kind of sense it. Yeah. You know, you know, you, when you go to enough, you know, required trainings, mm -hmm. when you walk in, you know, you get that stare, you know, and, but as a believer, you know, someone that's called to, let's say, pastoral ministry, I know my job is to connect with that one person, like you were saying, but I've seen so many churches and this is, this is something that the church has got to do better is when someone walks in, we should, you know, kind of like, in old, you know, in Hawaii, you just drop and say, you know, Aloha, how's it? Where are you from? Welcome them in. Right. Versus there's a new person and it's like saved by the bell, you know, and it's like, there's no connection. Uh, and I, this is sad. I've in the past led worship uh, and taught at churches where they didn't even greet me. And then the assistant pastor comes up, introduces me, and they're like, oh, that's the, <laughs> oh, you know. Yeah. And, and it throws your worship off. It throws your teaching off. You know, it, it's yeah. just very, it, you know, it's like a, there's going to be church clicks in every single church, mm -hmm. right? But we should be so sensitive. They're like, hey, this person's visiting. Let's make sure. You know, I know a couple of times when I ask, I'm like, any new visitors? Let's bombard them. Let's, you know, welcome them. Let's say hello. You know, and that should be, you know, a key thing that's tied into serving. You know, as Jesus says, right? I didn't come here to be ministered or in the King James served in the NIV, but to serve, to <laughs> minister. <laughs> You know, and I, I heard a, a testimony about uh, Coach Wooden that whenever he spoke with anybody, he would always outdo you by asking more questions about you. Mm -hmm. Even though they were coming to him to do an official interview, they would always, you know, commentators would always say, or the interview, the reporter would say, I was interviewed by him instead of me interviewing <laughs> yeah. him because that's, that's, really cool. yeah. that's, that was his, you know, MO as coach Wooden. you know, he's probably one of the greatest coaches to ever live, but 
you know, you read biographies about John Wooden, they said that whenever anybody came to his house to interview him, it would take hours because he was more focused on you versus the publisher focused on him. And that was the thing over time when you read biographies about him, that he has that that reputation of, you know, about others. And I think that's so important. You know, I've, I've been, I've been, I've had a couple of incidents actually. Some you, you made a comment about. So being in security, you carry like the mics in your ear and stuff like that. And I, I, I sit at the front door, like in that the lobby area normally where I was at before. And I, I was a director of security, so I, I knew faces, man. I mean, just I may not remember your name, but I'm gonna remember that face. And if it's a new person, I know that person's new or fairly new. So I'll always go and talk to them. Say, hey, how you doing? You know, how long have you been coming? Oh, this is my first time. Perfect. Let's talk. And we start talking because that that, that initial and you talk to them by their name too. When you call their name out a couple times, it, it's kind of weird. Like, yeah, hey Mike, you know, hey Mike, hey Mike. You keep hearing your name yourself. Like somebody kept saying, hey Felix, hey Felix. I'm like, whoa, that's kind of weird to hear my name, but you're gonna remember it um, when you introduce yourself. Shake hands, say that person's name, talk to them. They'll remember that, and it, it will make them comfortable to want to come back. But I remember when we had people that were maybe, you know, they had dirty clothes or something like that walking in the church. Hey, everybody, everybody see that guy over there? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm like, hey, why don't you guys be quiet? Go talk to him. Buy him a cup of coffee. Let's go get him a cup of coffee, you know? Open up those doors. I mean, yeah, they, they might be homeless. They're coming off the street. Don't kick them out, man. Elle and I, my, my wife and I, we actually invited this homeless guy who was walking by, invited him to church. He sat in the back row. He was just like, can I sit in the back? Because I, I, I didn't take a shower. Man, this guy, here he is, just coming into church. Didn't take a shower. He didn't want to disrespect everybody. He wanted to sit in the back. Man, those are my favorite people, man. Because I know the ones in the back are the ones I'm coming to. So cool, man. This brother here, man. He ended up coming to, after Ellen and I were, were, we left that church. We found out he was still, he, not only was he going there, he started serving in the parking lot ministry. That's his like wheelhouse, man. He's like, yeah, I know this parking lot, man. Hey, what better place, man, than to go in there and serve? Mm. You know, it was awesome, man, that this guy felt loved and at home in this place where, you know, people didn't give him the Heisman, you know, like, hey, get away, you know, like, boom, and, and knock him out, man. Like, yeah. they brought him in. So that right there is where we need to be focused on. And I think as 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 believers, we tend to think like, hey, not in my church, you know, or who are these people? Like, no way you're going to Man, if anybody ever thinks that they're more righteous than thou or, you know, more holier than thou, man, they, that's the church you need to run away from right there. But you go into a perfect church, don't go there because, you know, you're, you're going to ruin that place, <laughs> man. So, and, I, and that's, you know, we, we hear all these different things, but that's the truth, man, because we're all messed up, you know, and we're only perfect because of Jesus, man. And, and we screw up every day. I used to tell people all the time, hey, listen, I can't tell you how to have a good marriage, but I can tell you what not to do in your marriage. Cause I'm a pro at that, you know, and that's just it, man. You don't want to go into those kind of situations thinking that you're better than people. And, and that might be, you might be the only person that that person hears Jesus from in their entire life. You know, they're true. They're watching you there. And the second you, you, you mess around or the second you slip up, they're going to catch you. They're going to call you out on it. You know, that's something, listen, if I'm wearing a, a Christian t-shirt or if I'm wearing a hat, you better believe that I know people are watching me and they're, they're waiting for it. If I saw somebody like wearing a, a Jesus t-shirt or just talking about Christ or something, you know, wearing it on themselves, you know, the word uh, stigma, stigmata, that's the brand marks of Jesus. That's what that means. 
um, in the Greek, it's, it means the brand marks of Christ. If, if you're going to wear the stigma, the stigmata of Christ, and walk around like you're somebody or doing something for Jesus, you better not be having a 12-pack of beer in your cart. You better not be doing this nonsense at, at like a restaurant and drinking and hammering down beers. You know what I'm saying? That is the most craziest stumbling block that you could ever do for, for Jesus, man. And, and you're just going to, people are going to look at you and be like, what? And if they don't call you out on that, man, I'll call out a brother and sister. I don't care if I don't even know. I'm like, yo, what are you doing, man? You know, I'll do it, man. And it just, you know, I, I think the Lord put that kind of the, the gift of boldness for people to go and do it, man. Cause well, and then, you know, you know, speaking about that, it's like, we know there are soldiers, cops, and firefighters that ruin it for the, the whole, right? Like, I, I just saw uh, Mike the Cop, oh, you know, yeah, on the video is. laughing about how what, Minneapolis is spending like something like $6.5 million to recruit, you know, wow. and oh, defund the police, right? No one likes a bad cop than other good cops, right? It's just the same. And it's the same thing in the ministry. Um, you know, some of these pastors that are out there, you know, I think it was in Orange County when they were meeting, they're having church at a bar and they were drinking beer. Like they're talking about hops. And I was like, that was foreign to me. I was like, what the heck is a hop? You know, I, you know that's the last thing in the Korean. Oh, hop, hop. <laughs> oh, no, that's pop. That's oh, right. <laughs> but here's the thing though, Mike, is that Adam, Think about this, okay? Think about if there's a mass casualty, okay? Sacramento, last week, six people get killed, right? That's a mass casualty on any front. And I don't care if you're in Los Angeles, six people killed in one incident, that's a mass casualty. They're going to call churches. They're going to call pastors to come out. If Mike and I went out or we're at home and we, we were hanging out and had a couple of beers at a barbecue, we cannot respond to anywhere like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and that's something I, I tell my students that, what would you say? Like, I always tell my kids, here's my number. Call me if you guys are in jam somewhere so that you're not going to jail. You know what I'm saying? Your parents aren't here. We'll come out in the middle of the night. All three of us are pastors that teach that class together. As a matter of fact, the pastor that led me to the Lord is was one of my instructors. Like, that's 10 years ago, man. It was amazing. But what's crazy is how can I respond to an incident knowing as a, as like a chaplain, knowing as a first responder, if I have any alcohol on board, I can't go outside. There's no way I could talk about Jesus like that. So you want to just go ahead and dump it. Drugs. It's not saying, now, listen, we're, I'm not saying that a believer is not allowed to drink. That's not what I'm saying to you. What I'm, Scripture says to be a drunkard, to be falling under the, 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 the drunkenness of that. If, if you want to do that, that's fine. For me, I'm not going to do it because I'm called to a different position of, of responsibility in the church, being able to respond with Mike if there was an incident out here. See, Mike gets it as a, in the sense of knowing the first responder incident. We were right down the street. We had a police shooting uh, right down the street from the house where an officer had to take the life of, of somebody who was trying to harm somebody. We had just driven by there. My daughter, we were my, my wife, my daughter, we were just driving by about an hour before. We come back, the road shut down. We're like, whoa, what happened? We knew it was a police shooting, the way it was all set up. I mean, that's like a, a mass incident there. But so being at the, the World Trade Center on 9-11, mass incident, obviously police protocol was out the window that day. But one thing that we did respond, the Amish schoolhouse shooting in Lancaster, PA, hmm. or Nickel, Nickel Mines, PA is where it was at. We actually got there before PSP got there because they're, they're so far up in Lancaster 
they were closer to us. And that was where the, um, the, the janitor had taken the lives of those young girls, the kids. That right there, those people, not only did they forgive the, yeah. the suspect right there on the spot, I mean, they, they prayed for, for, for his life because he took his life, prayed for the family, prayed for their families. They ended up knocking the church down or the schoolhouse down and built a, like a, like a grass area there. But I remember, I mean, I didn't know the Lord, but for them to do that, we, we look at that kind of stuff too. But being able to respond to that, um, that, that's an amazing thing. And I knew in, in law enforcement, in your, your um, policy procedure manual, your PMP, it says you can't have alcohol eight hours before. Bro, I used to work with a guy, man, that can blow a 1-0 easily after eight hours, mm-hmm. consistently. And he would come to work like that. Man, if I could smell you, man, you, you got to go home, bro. I don't care if you're a one. I don't care if it's eight hours. I don't care if you drink 10 hours. Bro. You smell like that and you're blowing on PBT. Mm-hmm. It's time to roll, man. So we have to take accountability and responsibility. How would that look if you go out there and you kill somebody or somebody hits you? You're driving. You think you're driving. We always think you drive better drunk, right? People are driving under the influence. They get hit by somebody and they take a life. Man, we just lost a, an officer in Texas like that. She was waiting for him to come. He comes and plows right into the back of her, you know, and, and killed her. Her car lit on fire, man. So, you know, it, it was in the middle of the day, right? Like 10 o'clock in the morning, even, you know? So I think the accountability and responsibility as a first responder in the military, you know, you're, you're on the line. You're, you're there to save your brother and sister's lives. Take responsibility also in your, your, consumption of, of things that alter your mind things that can set your mind back and your abilities because we all know what it can do that mm-hmm. and you need to be at a level of your responsibilities to your church to jesus to your community listen if you're called as a leadership you should not be in any kind of situation where your mind is altered because you can you might need to respond there could be a plane crash something on that level where you are going to go and serve the lord and, and to glorify god in somebody's worst time of their life and if they could smell alcohol on you, man, you just took away the entire ministry of Christ right there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and that's just something I don't Definitely. want to be part of. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's something people don't talk about enough, especially being a person of faith. Um, but I do want to, I kind of want to hone in on something, especially uh, we talk about being a servant, and we did a good job of, of addressing what a servant means in the church. I think we need to point out number one that the church isn't a building. Okay. So if you're part of that church, you're serving wherever you are at that time. And I also want to talk about uh, being a servant in uniform. Okay. Being a servant at work. Um, Right. We talk about the ministry of presence, right, Mike? And, and that's huge to bring with you. And uh, when I think of being a servant, you know, a picture comes to mind. We've all seen Black Hawk down, right? So toward the end of that movie, and I don't remember his rank, but his name's Garrison. I had to look it up while you guys were chatting. Uh, he's down. He's in the he's in the hospital, and he's down, takes a knee because there's a pool of blood, and he starts cleaning it up, right? So here's the guy that ran the entire operation, right, the officer in charge, and he's down on the ground or on the floor cleaning up blood of one of his soldiers, and I see that as being a servant. And it's also being a leader, right? Michael, you're, uh, you're big on – on the leadership stuff right now. And, and I see that as being a leader and we need those behind the badge right now, worse than ever. I mean, we need somebody who's willing to get down and clean up the blood of a brother of, I don't care who it is. You know, 
of the homeless. You know, we need somebody that's willing to get down in the trenches with, with those that we're supposed to be serving. And, you know, the Bible says the first will be last and the last will be first in the kingdom of heaven. So, um, Mm -hmm. I think that's where we need to be. And that goes hand in hand with PTS. You know, I, I deal with my own PTS plenty, you know, I've been wearing a badge for over 13 years now. And so I've seen some crap, but what helps me to deal with my own stuff as much as anything else, number one, I have a foundation of faith, right? If I don't have, if I don't have that faith foundation, I'm going to crumble. But because I have that, I'm able to go help other people. And that helps me with my own stuff. You know, serving other people helps me to deal with my own stuff. Is that the same for you guys? I'm sure. I, I didn't know the Lord when I was on the job, you know, but I can tell you this, my buddy that I called, he would, I, he was a state trooper. He still is. He would actually pray with people on the side of the road. He'd say, well, you know, he would have to tell me like, I pulled them over for speeding, but they were going through like some marital issues or a death or something. He'd be like, Hey, can I pray with you? I mean, this guy was like six foot five, man, with his with his hat on, you know. Like, like yeah, what are you gonna say? Man. No, no, sir. Yeah. no, sir. <laughs> it's like the Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, I'm okay, pray I'll, I'll pray with you. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, can we can we talk about this ticket? But no, you know, he would actually do that, and I I would tell people, I don't know what it would be like to be a believer in uniform because of the things that you have to do. Sometimes it's just not the kosher stuff to do. Uh, there's just a way to do things sometimes. So I can understand what the brothers are going, especially now the brothers and sisters that are going through you know, dealing with their, their agencies, their leadership in their agencies, uh, politics and getting involved in your life. I mean, decisions that you make. And we were talking about some people making decisions to to not do something because they're worried about what's going to happen to them, you know. So it, it, it would be really, it would be difficult. But what I use it now is, is teaching at GCU. It's a Christian university. So I got to talk about Jesus all the time. Um, we have, I would say, 50% of the kids there are believers in the Lord. 25% of them are on the fence. They don't, they don't know really what they want to do. And the 25% of them are just, they don't know the Lord at all. They're from a different religion. They've never had any sort of knowledge of Jesus. They haven't taken a test before. We get about five to 10 kids every class that come to the Lord through the course of the Christian worldview. And it's a 15-week class. So being able to, to talk to them about who Jesus is, seeing the change. Like you could be, I, I got a brother right now. He was a, he was a Kansas City cop. Uh, he, was in the, he was in the Marines. Went through a major divorce. And he's a seeker right now, man. He's asking questions. He's asking all the questions that, that I remembered asking. And I actually invited him to our men's breakfast this weekend, uh, Thursday. I'm going to give him our address because he was he lives up in the North Valley. But I told him, say, come on down to the breakfast, man. It's laid back. You know, you could eat bacon and pancakes and all that stuff. It's a, it's a non – for somebody who's not a believer, it's a non-intrusive kind of place. You're outside. You're going to eat, hang out with dudes, man, you know, and, and just come on out. And so he, like I said, he was a Kansas City cop. So guys like that, being able to tap into brothers and sisters, you know if they're they're a believer or not. If you don't ask them, just say, hey man, you know, I heard something you said. You know, let me let me talk to you about about what Christ is, what Christ says about that. Always have an answer ready to go. You know, the coolest book that my sister ever gave me it was a, a a book on how to teach, talk to kids, like if they had a problem with suicide or a divorce or something. Man, you flip through it and it has the scriptures already ready to go. And it gives you like a, uh, a way to introduce that topic to them. And she, she wrote in there. She's like, hey, you know, I know she just wrote her little thing for me in there. But I use that book for adults, man, because we go through the same things where we have situations. I can't tell you how many times people are like, hey, man, what about this? I'm just like, boom, got it. You know, I know where the address is at. Boom. You know, because 
yeah, it would be nice. There's a lot of scripture. You know, I want to be exact on what I'm talking to somebody about. I don't want to start making things up or just trying to shoot from the hip, you know, and, and throw them off. So you want to be able to back it up with scripture. And I think some of them are even NIV in there as well, but they, they get the point. But, you know, it's uh, it's very important, though, I think as brothers and sisters on, on the line to we, we're going to suffer. We're going to go through pain and suffering. That's know that that's going to happen. But I would rather know the Lord than and go through those trials knowing that I'm going to go back into something again. You're either coming in, out, or in the middle of a trial. But I know I'd rather know the Lord and going through that stuff than not know the Lord. I don't even remember what I used to do not knowing the Lord, man. I know that now, what I know now, I never want to go back to those days of not knowing Jesus. And that's so important, man. I, I just don't think I, I would be able to, I don't think I'd be alive today if I didn't know Jesus. I'll tell you that right now, I would have snuffed myself out. There's been plenty of times, man, I, I tasted hops. Hoppy's number nine, bro. I can tell you that right now, there's been a couple of times. And I even said to myself, how could I do that, man? And my, my kid walks in or sees, sees that, you know? Um, it, it's crazy, man. Like, I, I just don't think I could ever say that or, like, you know, even do it in the shower to where that way there wasn't a big cleanup, you know? It, they just wash it down the sink right there, the drain, you know? I thought about that before, man, before knowing Jesus. And um, it, it, it's crazy. I, I know what, what gun oil tastes like, you know? And it's sad. To be in, in uh, I just tell my brothers and sisters, if you're in that position right now, man, where you just don't know, you're, you think you're at the end of yourself, know that, you know, I was in that position before myself, and I was, I didn't have no, no other choice. I felt like I had no other choice, but Jesus, man, it, even if you do know, bro, uh, you are in Christ, if you know the Lord, and you're going through those struggles, man, God tells you to come, come alongside with your brothers and sisters, man, let somebody talk to your brothers and sisters about, hey, this is going on right now, can, can I talk to you? And if you're a believer and somebody calls you and says, hey, can, can I talk to you? Don't don't give them the Heisman, man. You need to really say, hey, what's going on? Let's talk and spend that time. Tell your family, tell your wife, hey, you know, I'll be back. I got, I'll be back for a couple hours. I got to go talk to my buddy, you know, because we're going through something like that. Look at um, Chris Kyle, man. You know, he, he, he was he was just tapping into a brother like that. And look what happened to him. You know, I understand this kind of things happen, but he had that discernment to say, hey, I got to take this guy out. Right. I got to take him out with me. And he, he was texting his buddy, like, hey, this guy's kind of froggy, you know, but we're going to come along. We're going to take him anyway, you know. Those are the kind of struggles that we're going through, man. And, and we, you just don't know where people are at in their lives. Always be kind to people, man. Just come alongside. Yeah. You know, you know you're talking about PTSD. And um, I'm just, I'm going to use a different word. I'm going to use depression. Um, you know, and something that I learned early on in ministry the cure to depression is doing something for someone else and repeating that over and over and over again, that it's so habitual. It's not about you. And a scripture that brings to mind is, you know, in Proverbs eleven twenty five, it says the liberal soul shall be made fat and he that watereth shall be watered himself. And in the <clears throat> international standard version, it says it's a general person will be will prosper and anyone who gives water will receive a flood in return. You know, and I realize when I'm doing something for someone else, it takes my eyes off of me and someone else. And, you know, as a younger man, I didn't know what that meant. You know, when I heard, I, I, I don't know if it was in a Baptist church or something, but one of those, but. I remember a preacher kind of mentioning that and everybody goes through life, right? I call it STDs of life, 
sufferings, trials, and depression or dumpings. Not that kind of STDs. <laughs> That's a crazy acronym. Yeah, no. But you know what? He laughs, but it sticks to you. It does. Because I'll never well, forget that. Because, like, we were taught STDs as kids. And, you know? But I'm like, but we get STDs in life where it's it's the sufferings. It is the trials. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the depressions. Yeah. And what I realize is oh, yeah. when I'm focused on someone else, I'm – God is allowing me to be his hands and his feet yeah. to somebody else. That's, you know, cause like you're talking about, um, the incident, uh, the shooting in is it Connecticut. No, that was in uh, Lancaster, like, nickel mines. Yeah. yeah the schoolhouse. Where the, where they forgave the shooter. <laughs> that's because that that's, that's totally Jesus in there. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when, um, Jesus said it, Stephen said it in the book of Acts, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that, that takes the Lord yes. in, in you to do that. And for, for officers and firefighters and soldiers, you know, PTSD is, you know, PTSD is real. I'm not saying it's not. But it's basically depression. And depression is all about me, myself, and I. And it's got to be, and then that's the unholy trinity, right? It's all about me, myself, and I. But it's got to be about Jesus. You know, the, the acronym G, uh, joy, right? Jesus, others, and yourself. And like this, you know, verses in Proverbs eleven twenty five. If I'm watering, if I'm giving to others, I'm only going to be refreshed. And like I, I was listening to listen to so many audiobooks but someone was sharing about mother Teresa meeting like bunch of dignitaries around the world presidents prime ministers and then they said they were saying that when mother Teresa walked in everybody just stopped what they're doing and just went silent here she is you know a nun but she walks into a room full like i mean the whole world leader all the world yeah. leaders were there and i mean even from other religions right and then they see her and it just they just said you could hear a pen drop you know and talk about servanthood you know because she gave yeah. you know her life you know in servant and so um to you know to anybody that's watching or listening to this like you were saying when you're in that that vortex right it's just you know if you don't reach out for help you're gonna get sucked in you know it's like quicksand you gotta reach out for help and first and foremost like in felix's testimony the bible says if you call out unto him he will hear and he'll save you right um after that though there's that area of discipline and discipleship Mm -hmm. and you know, moving forward. But what's the greatest cure to depression? Doing for something good for someone else. God promises that you're going to get watered yourself. And so if that's the case, well, then if I'm experiencing, you know, the Eeyore mentality of, oh, woe is me, you know, life sucks. Well, you need to drink Tigger's Kool-Aid or whatever he's on <laughs> and, you know, and start serving others, you know. And like you said, Adam, Serving is not within the four walls of a church. For, for goodness sake, we don't even own our building. We're still renting in school. But we can serve in whatever capacity we're in in our uniform. You know, 
Um, I'm currently towards the end of my process with, you know, Buckeye police to be their, uh, one of their chaplains, you know, and I'm excited to serve the guys and the girls there, you know, cause let's admit it. Cops, firefighters, soldiers, we, we have seen things 99% of the, the world has never seen. Maybe they, they'll see it in a movie, but then when they see something in real life, you know, yeah. um, like Adam and I, we were talking about the, one of this uh, trooper in the department commit took his own life, yeah. you know, and, you know, having been a crisis counselor and having been a chaplain for different departments, you know, it's like, cool, I, I need to put everything else on hold. I'm going to put on my uniform, put my badge on and go out and just minister to the cops because they have to put their hat on and do, they have to do their jobs. Yeah. It's the aftermath, right? But I remember a volunteer firefighter slash detentions deputy in Eagle County took his own life, you know, and they didn't call a priest. They didn't call their family pastor. They called me because I volunteered for that department. And, you know, at the time I was a cop in Colorado, but they also knew I was, you know, a pastor in the ministry. And immediately they connected me with, you know, the wife and all that. And it's like, okay, I have to kind of prepare. I'm like, Hey, what are you going to do with the vehicle? Cause the vehicle is, and, and I was helping organizing companies to come in so that she doesn't see the aftermath, right. Of taking his own life. And I said, are you going to be okay with the fact that you're going to drive this vehicle or do you want to start the process of get it cleaned up, sell it, whatever, you know, or, you know, obviously there, she was of a Catholic background, but she didn't want to talk to her priest. So she chose to talk with me to work through that process. And so every week, every day, almost I checked in on her, how she was doing. And, you know, it was that ministry of presence. Yeah. And I think we need to be consistent in that as well. I think, you know, you, you, you will have some people that just want to take advantage of your, uh, of that calling for everything, you know, like, Hey, I got, what about this? What about that? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? And it's almost to a point of excess where you, you have to give them the tools. So that, that tells me one of two things. One, you haven't properly come alongside with them to give them the tools to start working things out on their own slowly. I mean, you're not just going to dump them off, but, or that tells me right there, they're just not listening. And I think you really do, uh, as a chaplain, be able to come alongside, especially with the brothers and sisters, and just say, hey, you know what? This is probably either too big for me to handle. I need to come alongside with somebody else as well. Because or, we don't have the answers for everything either. I mean, we can't keep telling Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There, there, a lot of people want to know answers. And I think as we're, we're, we tend to go and try to fix the, everyone's problems, you know, we put a badge on it, we think we're going to fix everyone's problems. But some of these problems of the world, I mean, they take, they take time. And, you know, when you're dealing with ministry, I mean, the Lord's got plenty of time. I mean, the day is like a thousand, you know, so, you know, a thousand years for him. So for us, we really have to be able to walk slowly, make sure that we're, we're following, you know, the, the word and, and coming alongside and, and watching these people as well that we're coming alongside with. And to be able to, to minister to them, like I said, the ministry of presence, sometimes it's just there to be quiet. Just sit there with them. Don't say a thing, man. Just sit there. You know, that might be all they need. Look at Job's friends, man. Job's, I mean, yeah, they, they came alongside with them. You know, they, they, 
they start running their mouths, man. So it's just like, hey, time out, man. Just be quiet, you know, just sit there with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Well, we're well past 90 minutes. Yeah. Should we call it a day? Sure. Sure. We can always do another part two. Part two. You know, I think there's plenty of material to do say, it. Part two. Yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of material. We didn't even touch up on the fact that, like, your dissertation for your doctorate was, you know, on domestic violence. On domestic violence. In the church. Mm-hmm. You know, intimate partner violence in the church because. The, just real quick, the, the the numbers itself in the church are just as bad as they are in the secular world. And what's interesting is church violence itself, ninety percent of church violence is based from DV hmm. on the outside. They're they're the cause harm to that person's foundation. You know, hey man, this, this pastor's telling my my husband or my spouse this. I'm gonna go take that pastor out. You know, like they're causing a system problem in my house, or you know, like. Just that, that dad a couple of weeks ago out in Sacramento. Again, Sacramento's man, the hot button place. But he, he went it's there. the armpit of California. Took, <laughs> took his kids out, you know. Took him and his kids out, man. That's where the family yep. went to church. Mm-hmm. So they do that. They Texas shoot the Texas yep. church. Kid killed 25 people there. Yeah. You know, so it, it's not about other religions. Like, I'm going to go shoot up this church because of a, a religion. No, it's DV, man. DV is a serious issue, and there's some other issues that are that cause domestic violence you know for whatever reason you know mental health issues and things like that so it's a, it's another topic for sure yeah 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 and tv's within the uniform too that's right mm. big yeah we should come back and talk about that next time uh felix you want to pray us out I could, oh pray okay, sorry bro, i can barely hear sorry i am deaf in one ear though <laughs> yep heavenly father lord god thank you for this day lord just thank you for all the opportunities that you provide for us lord thank you for my brothers here and lord i just uh, i want to lift up all the brothers and sisters that are out there that watch this video that hear this video lord god you know where every single one of them are at lord i just ask that you just put your hands upon them lord uh, just bless are the, are the, the peacemakers lord god put a hedge of protection around them and their families lord give them the words uh, of who you are, God, to guide those brothers and sisters that might be struggling and hurting. And God, also give them the foundation to be able to uh, stand and to be able to, to give a reason as to why they believe in what they believe, Lord. And that's all about who you are and the goodness and kindness of what you give to us, Lord. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. 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 Hey, where can people find you? So you guys can go to uh, Facebook or Instagram on uh, The Word on the Street. Uh, if you go onto the website, wordonthestreet.org, um, I have the, the written portions of what I, I teach on video, the video blogs. Some of them are between a minute. It's just a, a snippet of a, of a verse. Um, but some of the teachings usually are about averaging about five, five minutes or so. And what the purpose is, is that people, they, they may not have time to get into it. Like I like to listen to teachings. It takes me an hour and a half to get to work for the traffic for a 20 minute drive. man. So I get a lot of teaching time in and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll, I'll listen to the teachings of, of other pastors, especially and being able to, to, to just have some ministering for myself. But the word on the street.org, if you're able to get on there or hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, the word on the street, and, and you'll see it on there. And, and the teachings are just uh, every day, you know, and then the daily devos as well. Um, just sometimes we get busy sometimes. So being able to go back in and just listen to something quick, that's what I've learned. I get busy, man. And sometimes you just got to sit back and let Jesus be Jesus. Stop trying to be Jesus yourself, you know? Amen to that.